Psalm 90. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. Yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This is God's word. Well, morning, everyone. Um, now, in theory today, we were meant to return to uh, the book of Romans, um, pick up at chapter 5. Uh, but actually, quite unusually, well, I can't actually ever remember doing it before, in truth, um, decided to allow what's going on in the news to affect actually what uh, God's word, what part of God's word we look at. And um, so actually this week and next, I want to turn to two psalms. Uh, I may have got it the wrong way round, but uh, uh, this week is somewhat looking at our response, and uh, next week a, a cry for God to act. You can't say everything about what's going on, of course, um, about the suffering of Ukrainian people, the, the wickedness of a Vladimir Putin, but a few things worth reflecting on at this time. Let me pray, and uh, then uh, we'll work through it together. Psalm 90. A great God and Father, here are sobering truths, but wonderful. We pray that as we consider your word this morning, we'd be ever more delighted that you are our dwelling place. In the Lord Jesus, we have a home that can never be taken. Father, please be at work in us this morning, we pray. Amen. Yes, I may have got it the wrong way around, but um, thinking about how we respond, I think it was, uh, well, a week ago, wasn't it, that uh, we hear the news that Vladimir Putin had put his nuclear deterrent upon high alert, and uh, we all learn now what that means and how it responds to sort of a DEFCON system, etc. Um, and then I think it was Monday, Tuesday, just reading that Steve Rosenberg, you know, the... Um, the Moscow correspondent with the BBC, his commentary on this. 
And uh, he said, um, talk about the, the, the escalation in nuclear tension. He said, obviously, we think now that um, you know, nothing will happen with that, do we? He said, the problem is, let me read, so many times I thought Putin will never do this, then he goes and does it. He'd never annex Crimea, surely, and then he did. He'll never start a war in the Donbass, and then he did. I said he'd never launch a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, and he has. So now I say he'll never press the nuclear button first, would he? And I don't know. And you think, oh, oh, right. Uh, and you'd have to say historically, there's no doubt we're, we're the closest to any kind of nuclear war since 1962 and the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And how long do you get? 15 minutes warning? <laughs> uh, what would you do in those 15 minutes? What, who would you phone? I mean, you can't run anywhere, can you? But who would you call? I don't know. And I thought, what would I want to say? And I think it would be something like Psalm 90. Lord, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Uh, briefly, Psalm 90, then, you can see in the text there, we're at the beginning of book four of the Psalms, originally compiled into five books. At the end of book three, everything's gone wrong. It's just disaster. The last few Psalms of uh, book three are the most miserable in the whole of the book of Psalms. And by the time you read Psalm 89, everything's gone wrong. Jerusalem's been destroyed. Uh, Israel's king has been uh, uh, defeated. Uh, they're all exiled. It's just miserable. <laughs> uh, so it's all gone terribly, terribly wrong. And book four starts again. It says, okay, given everything has gone terribly wrong, now what do we do? Well, book four, let's go back to Moses and see what sort of things he was praying. What do you get in Psalm 90 then? Three foundational truths and then a few little prayers that come out of them. Okay? So three truths, and then I will briefly run through the prayers, how we might respond. The Lord is our home. Human lives are but dust. We're consumed by the Lord's anger. So teach us to count and other prayers. Let's work through them. The Lord is our home. That's what we need to know. He's our home. Verse 1, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations from before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Lord, you're our dwelling place used elsewhere of a, an animal's lair. I mean, somewhere you retreat for safety, for security. Not that God provides a dwelling place. can read that elsewhere in the Psalms. But he is. He is a dwelling place. What a wonderful truth. So I hear on the radio this morning, by the end of today, probably 1.5 will have fled Ukraine. And of course, it's easy to become inured to TV destruction. We see it quite often. But there's something about this that does just feel a bit different, isn't it? Is it proximity? Is it knowing more Ukrainians? I, I don't know. Is it the shock in Western Europe of seeing this? But the devastation of homes gone. And uh, we must pray, believers know deeply, that the Lord is their home. Easy for us, isn't it? We'll go back to our warm houses at the end of church. But we all need to know the Lord is our home. He's a place of safety, 
security, comfort, familiarity. He's home. And other homes will go. Uh, a number here will remember uh, one couple will here for a while, Jody and Liz Davies. Uh, they're only here for two years because he's a senior army officer, and every two years he has to move jobs. That's just how it works. So for the last 25 years of life, you know, two years, two years, two years, two years, two years, you just constantly keep on moving. They've got a nice little wooden plaque in their kitchen. Some would have seen it. Home is where the army sends us. Um, and beneath it, there are all these other little plaques over the last 25 years, all these different places that they've been, some exotic and some Swindon. Um, and uh, that's just... Now, we saw them a little while back, and they've got two teenage, uh, two teenage kids now. They're a boarding school because you can't, every two years, move, 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 move. It's impossible. It's really hard. So they're in boarding school. The weirdness of that is sometimes they've been living in... London, and uh, they've gone off to boarding school, and the next time they come home, it's in Surrey, and everything's moved, and here is your bedroom and all your stuff, oh, okay, in a new location, pretty weird, but uh, we're just chatting about this, one of the last times we saw them, and the older of the teenagers said, well, you just get used to it, I guess, home is where mum and dad are, and for him, a statement of fact, for his mother, a sentence to make melt the heart, can you... <laughs> particularly if you know her, <laughs> you, know, you know, tears, 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 home is where mum and dad are. But if, yeah, I mean, it just, it is, because that's wherever mum and dad are, that is stuff, that is familiarity, that is comfort. And for the Christian believer, we must have that sense, should have that sense. The Lord is our home. Where is home? But with him, where is security? With him, where is comfort? With him, we'll have other little. We'll have beds, not many beds throughout this life. But he's home. Throughout all generations, there's a wonderful constancy to him. The Lord is our home. Human lives are but dust by contrast to that. In contrast to the Lord's permanence, here are people. Verse 3, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch in the night. People just return to dust. Uh, finally, in January, after COVID restrictions and a slightly convoluted local church parish system, finally buried the ashes of both my parents Two people who lived for 82 years, 77 years, and there they are in a shoebox, size casket. And that's them. And they're gone. A thousand years. It's a long time, isn't it? Uh, what are we about to? 1022. 10, Anyone remember 1022? No. I anything interesting happened in 1022? Harold Godwinson was born who went on to lose the Battle of Hastings. That's the most exciting thing I could find about 1022. But a thousand, since then, quite a lot of history has happened since 1022. I mean, everything you remember from school and more. But for the Lord, it's just, it's just a blink. It's just a watch in the night. In Hebrew thought, you have three watches in the night. So you talk about, about I don't know, a three-hour window. A thousand years, it's just like three hours to the Lord. It's just been and gone. 
Verse 5, you sweep people away in the sleep of death. They're like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it's dry and withered. Very roughly, 117 billion humans have lived on planet Earth. Very roughly. There's a few of us sticking around at the moment. The majority of that number are gone. 117 billion And Moses is saying every new birth is exciting, but in the scheme of life, in the scheme of history, it's just like a morning and an evening. They come and they go. That's you and me. We come and we go. Not for very long. And what's left? What will last? Verse 6. Well, who knows? We'll come back to that. Now, this brevity... This fragility of life, in many ways, we've just forgotten it. (laughs) Because the last 50, 60 years have been completely abnormal in world history. Absolutely bizarre. The last 50 years of sort of stability and security, in the scheme of history, they're a complete aberration. And of course, we think it's just normal. And sort of descriptions of the Bible, wars and famines and plagues, they're just sort of ancient weirdness. And then you live through two years of a plague and you think, oh, okay, yeah, that's quite debilitating. And then there's a war. And all of a sudden, really, the threat of nuclear war. And it doesn't feel so very distant. We've lived in this weirdy, weirdy period for 50, 60 years. And maybe life is reverting to normal, a lot more conflict, resources scarcer. Who knows? But certainly the news at the moment should make us remember we're like dust. And we could be returned to dust any time. And the only thing that lasts is the Lord and his people. So the Lord is our home. Human lives are but dust. We're consumed by the Lord's anger, verses 7 to 11. If you go to an Anglican funeral service, most often verses 3 to 6 are read. Uh, 7 to 11 are not. It's just a curiosity. But 7 to 11 are the reasons why life is so short. Here is the reason why people are turned back to dust. Verse 7, we're consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You've set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Here's why humans are returned to dust. Because of our behavior. That's why. Now this war, I guess, is being described, I don't know, the first social media war, I don't know what that means. The first TikTok war, yes, probably, that, I guess that's true. Uh, it's just these days with phones and camera phones, everything gets recorded, isn't it? So it's sometimes hard to discern what is real from all the stuff on the internet. But now, much harder to get away with war crimes than 50 years ago, <laughs> uh, than 100 years ago, because everyone's there with their phones and you can see what's going on. There aren't so many secret sins in a war zone these days. But of course, what Moses is observing wonderfully, wonderfully, from the very beginning of history, the Lord has seen everything. 
The Lord has known everything. He's recorded every crime. And an accounting will come. It will come. Justice will come. And judgment will come. And that is good news. Putin's horrific crimes against humanity. And the small crimes, the secret sins that you and I do, everything embarrassing. Not to draw moral equivalence, there is a difference between invading a sovereign nation and lying. There is. But the reason this world is under judgment is because of the sins of humanity. The, the, the reason that life is short, the reason that we are like dust, we all contribute to that. Some to a very large extent, yes, sure. Some to a smaller extent, sure. But we all contribute to it. One day every sin is set forth before the judge of the universe and exposed before the blinding purity of a holy God one day. And it's because of this flaw in us that the world is not as it's designed to be. It's because of that that verse 9, our days pass away under wrath. Because of the sins of humanity that verse 10, our days may come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow. They quickly pass. We fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger. Your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. If only we got that clear, then we'd order our lives rightly. If we got that clear, the most significant thing you and I will ever do is coming before God and saying, help. We need your compassion. We need your kindness because we have a problem. It's the most significant thing you or I will ever do. If only we knew that, recognized that, then we'd pray rightly. Look, the Lord is our home. Human lives are but dust. We're consumed by the Lord's anger. Four prayers flow from that. And I don't know what you've done for Ukraine. I don't know if you've contributed your, your, your financial gifts. To, to, there's lots of sensible Christian charities. Time Out had some. Uh, but alongside that, every Christian pastor in Ukraine that I've heard of from does start off saying, will you please pray for us? I'm not being pious. I'm not saying that because it's what I'm meant to say as a pastor. I'm quoting here but because that is what we need, because our only hope is God. So here are four things to pray for us, and you may want to pray them for, for Christians under pressure. First, and I think this is the, the key prayer in the psalm, because it summarizes verses 1 to 11. Here's the appropriate response to what you read in 1 to 11. Verse 12, teach us to count. Verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I think that teaches in uh, two senses. How many left? Uh, I'm going on holiday for five days and there are 12 things I'd like to visit. So I've got to count the number of days. I've got to work out how I can fit this in. Um, that sort of, how do, I, how do I squeeze everything I've got to do into a short period of time? Teach me to recognize, Lord. I've got, I don't know, uh, average life. I've probably got 20 years left. Um, 
teach me to, what do I do with those 20 years? How do I use the time I've got left, Lord, usefully to do something that matters rather than just going and just drifting through the days, the weeks, the years? There's that sense, I guess. How many have I got left so I do something useful? But I think secondly, and that possibly the main sense in this psalm, teach us to count, teach us to number our days, to ask the question, why so few? Particularly after verses 7 to 11, why? We should be asking the question, Lord, teach us to count. Why is it we only live 80 years? Why is it that the body decays? Because, verses 7 to 11, of human rejection. So in the sense, we think of it in these terms. A man, uh, uh, a man looks at his bank account on the, let's say, the 30th of the month, and it's got £5,000 left in it. Super. Um, and uh, he gets paid £2,000 on the first of every month. So he's got 5000 left, and so on the first of the month, this should go to seven. That's not complicated. He, so he's, great, £5,000 on the 30th. He looks on the, se- on the first, pay should have come in, but all that's left in his bank account is £3.75. What he doesn't do is say, well, I've got to make £3.75 last for 30 days now. Teach me to count, Lord, so that I can sort of do the, you know, hmm, that's not a lot, is it? The immediate response is, well, is it all gone? Where's all my money? Why have I got so little money? And I think it's that sense to the psalm primarily. Why is life so short? Why is it hard? Why does it go wrong? Why don't we live beyond this? Why? Why? I think is that primary sense to teach us to count. In other words, teach us to count, Lord, that this is not how it's meant to be. These 70, 80 years, which are often very hard, teach us to count them rightly so we say we have a problem. So return to us, Lord, verse 13, is the second little prayer. Verse 13, relent. Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. How long is it going to be like this, Lord? Now, crucially here, there is the title given, Lord, Yahweh, the the name revealed to his people when he made promises to them. From the book of Exodus onwards, here Moses is praying, Lord, you promised to have mercy. Could you do that, please? You promised never to abandon us. You promised that there's a way that we could be saved. Could you do that, please? Will you relent, return? You take your pick how you translate it. Return to us. Rather than, verse 3, return us to dust. Lord, verse 13, will you return to us in kindness and compassion? Will you give us more than we deserve? The Lord doesn't recruit good people for his kingdom. He recruits humble people. He recruits those who say, help. Jesus is clear. Heaven is not for good people. It's for those who say, I need compassion. I need kindness. I need mercy that I don't deserve. That's what Moses is asking for here. To teach us, teach us to count, relent or return to us, Lord, Uh, Third, then, satisfy us with your love, 
verses 14 to 16. It's a wonderful contrast to the gloom of verses 5 and 6, where morning was promising, but it didn't last long. By evening, it would dry and withered. Here, the believer knows that what they do in life does matter. Verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Satisfy us in the morning with unfailing love, that we may sing for joy. It's quite a difference in tone here, do you see? First half of the psalm, I find life oppressive at times. I find the reality that it's so brief and we live and we die and we're gone. I find that a bit, bit gloomy, to be honest. But here the believer says, but I know the compassion of God. And so now I say, no, life is good. Life is satisfying. I can sing for joy. I can do that. Because here now is hope. That, of course, hope means you can sing even when life has its great frustrations. Let me illustrate that in two ways. The the banal level, you you have a car. You have a a, a clapped-out old diesel-pumping 15-year-old held together with sticky tape car. uh, And you know you've really got to change it, but you just haven't got around to doing so. And then one day it's nicked. And the police tell you your car's been nicked and it's found that it's been trashed and, and written off. And you think, well, that's a nuisance. It is a nuisance. But I have a million pounds in the bank and I'd intended to get a new car anyway. And so actually I'm quite, it's okay. I'm not too depressed about that. Uh, I've lost something, but it was going anyway. And if I've got the resources for the future, it doesn't really matter. That's hope. You know, there's a nuisance to your car being stolen. But if you've got the hope of replacing it with something infinitely better, not the end of the world. That is how hope affects disappointments. Here, Moses says, yeah, I can sing for joy, even in this frustrating world, even though there's only 70 or 80 years of life. For there's hope. Well, to bring it back to uh, life at the moment, uh, I was very struck. I, I was sent this uh, in, the, in the week. It's a very scratchy recording, forgive me for that. But um, uh, I think it was Tuesday when um, the, the residents, many of the residents of Kharkiv, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, uh, in Ukraine, fled to the subways, to the underground, because missiles were coming in. And uh, someone recorded a group of Christians singing in the underground. Now, you and I can't work out what it says, but I'm reliably told the translation is they're singing a song called You Gave Your Life for Us. Our names are written in the book of life. That's strike, isn't it? Our city is being destroyed. Our homes have gone. And what we want to declare is, Jesus, you gave your life for us. Our names are written in the book of life. I have hope. I have a better home. We got that. Mm-hmm. 
What do you do when you've lost your home and you're hiding underground? But the believer says, Jesus, you gave your life for us and our names are written in your book of life. We have a much better hope. So we can sing for joy, even now. Verse 15, I think, is, is a prayer somewhat limited, dare I put it in those terms, by the, by the, by the vista of the Old Testament. So Moses says, uh, make us glad for as many days as you've afflicted us, for as many years as we've seen trouble. So we've had 700 days of affliction, Lord. Can we now have 700 days of, uh, of joy? Can they sort of balance one another out? Which is fine, but the, the vista of the New Testament just puts it very differently. So Paul, for example, could write in, in 2 Corinthians 4, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs the troubles now. That's different, you see. So, so Moses' perspective is a little bit like uh, uh, two children in the park. And you get there's a, sea, there's a seesaw and it's functioning and the, the, the councillor hasn't shut it down for health and safety risks. And, um, and so you put one child on in weighing, I don't know, 30 kilos and it goes down, and you put another child on about the same weight, and, and they sort of balance one another out. Moses is saying, can we have that, Lord? Because it's been really rough. Can we have some good times to compensate? Whereas the New Testament perspective is, okay, you put the child worth 30 kilos on, and then, I don't know, big old tubby Tyson Fury at 140 kilos has a little running jump and lands on the other end, and boom, and the whole thing sort of breaks, probably, because there's no balancing that out. And that's the New Testament perspective. Our light and momentary troubles are far outweighed by what is to come. There's no balance. There's no equivalence. Afflictions are swallowed up by what is to come. Verse 16, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. Would we know, would we see, would we learn deeds that last? What do you want? The Christian knows. Again, Moses' vista looks back to the the Exodus. Marvelous. The Christian looks back to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and says, those are the deeds that demonstrate the splendor of God, that demonstrates how we can justly judge wickedness and save people like you and me, how he can conquer death. There's nothing more splendid than the achievements of the death and resurrection of Jesus, a man conquering death, being seen by crowds of witnesses and promising, I've opened the way to heaven. I've gone ahead to prepare a place for you. Follow me. That's a truth you can pass on to children. You can sing with your children. You gave your life for us. Our names are written in the book of life. And so the psalm concludes, establish the work of our hands. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Strikes me as perhaps a slightly arrogant prayer, if not well defined. Lord, would my life count for something? Well, maybe that's okay. Lord, would I have a legacy? Would the work of my hands be established? Would it endure? Well, you better have got your doctrine sorted out first. Who 
could possibly get inside the mind of Vladimir Putin, but we're told he wants a legacy. Age 69 of uniting these, whatever. Well, we don't want the work of his hands established. I guess Psalm 90 would say, no, the, the, the legacy he faces is an eternity standing before the Lord, enduring his judgment, his wrath. That is the legacy of Vladimir Putin. But if we've worked our way through the psalm and own these statements, the Lord is my home, my life is but dust, it's because of the Lord's anger against sin, if we own those statements, then coming to pray this at the end is an entirely sensible prayer for us. Lord, teach us to number our days aright. Teach us to find our home in Jesus Christ, belonging to him, the one who's gone ahead of us to prepare a place in heaven. Lord, Jesus is my home. Can I do something worthwhile in the brief time I've got here on earth? Can I serve him? Rather than just enduring 70, 80 years, getting through, can I do something that matters in how I relate to others, in how I raise children, in how I speak, in how I work? Can I do something that matters? Lord, establish the work of our hands. Teach us that affliction will be swallowed up by an eternal weight of glory, so we live for you now. There are many things to say in the face of events currently in Ukraine. Here's just one. It's only one. Maybe not the first place to start. But it's the one that's slightly preoccupied my thinking this week. Teach us to number our days rightly. Life is fragile. We are just dust. The Lord Jesus is our home. And if it takes events on the world stage to force those uh, truths upon us, well, make good use of them. If you want to be praying for those in Ukraine, here are some things you can pray that they know more deeply. Life is fragile. We're dusted. Jesus is home. He's our dwelling place. Safety, security, comfort, certainty, stability. And before I pray, let me, pray, let me um, play you one other recording. Again, striking this, you'll recognize the tune to this one. But this was recorded by a house church in Moscow uh, and sent to another church in Ukraine. Just look, brothers, sisters, we're with you. We think uh, we have something in common in the Lord Jesus that unites us far more than whatever flag we currently sit under, far more than our leaders. Life is brief. We're but dust. Jesus is home. He's shown us compassion. So here's what some Christians in Moscow wanted to say to their brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that Jesus will hold us fast. Sergio. 
great God and Father, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That is easy for us to say, Lord, for we have houses to return to. But brothers and sisters in Ukraine, that is a truth that becomes uh, real, and they can only declare through tears, even with a certain hope of what lies ahead of them. Father, for them, we pray it is a comforting truth, a precious truth, a sustaining truth. Father, for us, we pray that we'd be sobered by events in the world, sobered by a threat to our well-being, sobered, Lord, by the knowledge that life is frail. We are dust, and the only secure home is in the Lord Jesus, who we turn to him, the one who's shown us great compassion, Would we put our trust in him, the one who has gone ahead of us to prepare us a dwelling place in heaven? Would we find our security in him? And doing that, Lord, knowing, having counted our days rightly, then we ask, would you establish the work of our hands? Would our lives be useful in your service? Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.